Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, well, well. Uh, how the crumble cookies. Welcome to our 11 a.m. service for high school ministry. We've been going through this series called Revival. And um, if you're meeting me for the first time, my name is Aaron Kajumba. I serve as a high school pastor. Our team just got back from Uganda, and I stayed a week after, so it's doubly uh, a blessing to see all your beautiful faces. Can I get some lights so you can see these faces real quick? I haven't seen these guys for a while. Oh, beautiful. Gorgeous. Yes. Okay, anyway, moving forward. Uh, dim them down. Too much, too much, too much. Too much PD. Uh, but uh, we are going through this series called Revival, and today we look at a glimpse of heaven. Today's going to be a little, bit, a little bit different, more like a Bible study in the sense that we're going to go verse by verse, which you always normally do, but we're going through a chapter called Revelation 21, verses 1 through 26. And this, by far, in Scripture, is the best snapshot of heaven you will find anywhere in Scripture. So it tells us where it is, how it works out, all the good things. So if you have a Bible, turn over to Revelation chapter 21. If you want to uh, take notes, this is the time for you to pull out your notes, pad, or whatever. If you need a Bible, we have a Bible at the back for you, a gift from us to you. Again, we are people who delight in God's word, and so we want you to have a Bible so you can follow through. If you'd like my notes as well, like take your notes for this time for sure, but after the fact, after service, walk up to me. you got iPhone, I'll airdrop them to you. If you want me to text them to you, I'll text them to you so you can have all of them. Either way, we want you guys to be equipped so you can have these for life and godliness. Allow me to pray. Is that cool? Cool. Lord, thank you for this time. I ask that you bless um, your uh, people in this room as they hear your word. Allow these words uh, to uh, go into their heart to understand what they're living for and looking forward to. Uh, and give us, Lord God, um, uh, the strength to live in the light of that truth. And just let me pray. Our God's people said, amen. Revelation 21, all the people who are there say amen. For the five people who are there, praise God. We're talking about, again, uh, Revelation 21, which is a snapshot of heaven. Now, before we get into that, let me tell you a story about how I got saved. Uh, not re- rededicated, but actually saved. My first part where I said this is... Uh, an opportunity for me to live and love like Jesus. I think I was about nine or ten or so um, in Uganda. I went to this church called Watoto Church in Kampala. And every year they put on this thing called um, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. It was a play. And in this play, there would be people who were like you and I who would live life. And then something would happen and they would die. You're all going to die. It's a reality, all right? So people die in that play. Uh, and when they die... They get to stand before uh, an angel that has a book open, and it's a book that has people's names, right? The names of, of life, right? Uh, who, who, whose names are in the book of life. So they get to heaven, they get up there, and then you see from their life before how they lived, whether they professed Jesus or not. And when they die, they stand up there, and if their name's not in the book, they were dragged to hell. It was very dramatic for me to watch this. They were dragged to hell. Like, it was a scary situation. As a 9 or 10-year-old, I remember watching this and being like, Mom, I do not want to go to hell. Like, literally, Jesus scared the hell out of me. That's what happened. That's how I got saved. I was like, I don't want that. I don't think I want that judgment. And I recognized that because I knew I was also not a good person. It wasn't just I was afraid of judgment or afraid of being, like, burnt forever or whatever. No, that's not the point. 
I literally knew I was a bad person. Those people who had their names in the book of life ended up going into heaven. And the way they got into heaven, like there was angels singing and all this crazy stuff. And everyone goes, it was amazing. And so looking at that as a 9 or 10-year-old, I said, you know what? I, I want to be with God. I want to be in heaven. But I also recognized that I was a broken individual. I was sinful. I had issues. Do you have issues? Praise God. Uh, y'all got issues. I got issues. We all got issues. The point is this. In the midst of all these things, there was an, a thing called an altar call. What that is is someone said, hey, uh, do you want to make a decision to live and love like Jesus, to give my life to the Lord? And I did at 9 or 10 years old. And from then on, I began to uh, have the fruit of that in my life. Now, I knew of God. I've heard of God. All these different things. But I actually had no actual relationship with Jesus. And so from then on, I began to live and love like him. And it was a blessing to me. And when we start talking about uh, this idea of heaven, we have to understand that there is actually a heaven. That means there's actually a hell. And we'll start there briefly talking about how Jesus actually talked more about heaven than he did, sorry, he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. This is pretty interesting. When you think about Jesus, you think about, I don't know, soft and cuddly. I don't know what you guys think about Jesus. But he talks more about the realities of hell than he does about heaven, which is pretty wild. And interesting enough, many of us have this idea because of where we are and where we're living and our situation that we are living in hell, or we're confused about what is actually heaven. But here's the truth. True things right here, true say. You are not living in hell, and this is not heaven. When your parents tell you you can't go to that party, don't say, ah, this is hell. It's not hell. You don't know what hell is, right? And you can't be like, oh, my gosh, I got this hit of whatever. I'm in heaven. You have no idea what heaven actually is. We'll see what that looks like in scripture. But we know for sure heaven and hell are actually real places. Real places. They're not figments of people's imagination. They're not stories. There's not cherubim sitting on clouds with little, uh, little uh, I won't say guitars, but you know what I'm trying to say. Those things playing all, like, no, it's not like that. These are literal places. Uh, I see this scripture in Psalms 139 that says, uh, from David, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is another word for, for hell, you are there. God, it fills all these places, and they are real places. David is not even dead yet, but he goes, dude, these places are real. He recognizes and acknowledges that they are actual real places. And this place we're talking about now, first, which is hell, was created for Satan and his angels, rebellious angels. For those who said, I don't want to worship God, I don't want to trust God, that's what hell was made for. Hell was not made for you. Also, we see in Matthew 25, 41, that it says this, Matthew, Jesus speaking to uh, his disciples, speaking of these people, says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, this place is not prepared for you, right? So look to your neighbor, left, to the right. Say hell, say hell is not meant for you. Say hell is not meant for you. Hell is not meant for you at all. It's meant for these rebellious angels. God has a purpose and a plan for you. 
And when you deviate from that space, you end up in all kinds of mess and issues and sin, which the Bible calls sin, which means we fall away from God's perfect way. We do our own thing and not God's thing or try his way. In fact, it says in Matthew 13, 41 through 42, that the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out, his, out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of, pe- of, of teeth. What is he saying? That because of sin, because we fall short, because we don't trust this God, we put ourselves in the categories of these angels, of these rebellious angels. And he says, in this place, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? Yes, there's crying. Yes, there's all that. But the gnashing of teeth, for one, for, to some degree, and, and this is my idea of what it means, is not just that people are saying, oh, this hurts and it's, it sucks or whatever. And then you grit your teeth. The gnashing of teeth is more of a rebellion. It's like, have you guys ever, well, I'll just give you my example. When I was young, right, I used to get spanked as a kid. This is what happened to me, right? This is my reality. I grew up in Africa, so there you go, right? You go pick your own thing, and then you go and get spanked. What happened was, as I grew older, I began to be more rebellious in my acts of being spanked. So I would grip my teeth, and I'd be like, uh, uh, to show that I'm not going to submit to the pain of the situation. It's as if I'm being punished, but I'm rebelling by saying, even though I'm being punished, I don't want this. It's another act of rebellion. People who are in hell don't go to hell because they didn't want to. Does that make sense? No one sins by mistake. Are you guys who are sinning by mistake? Oops, I lied. Oops, I stole. Oops, I took a hit of this. Like, no one has ever done that. No one lies by mistake. No one sins by mistake, we make choices. And when we get there, it's kind of what the Bible calls godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is when you're sorry because you've sinned against God. Worldly sorrow is when you are sorry because you got caught. Every YouTuber, politician, wherever, I'm sorry that I took my family on this plane when people in Florida are doing da-da-da. All these things. You're not sorry. You're sorry you got caught. And in the midst of this, these people have gnashing of teeth still rejecting God. See, people go to hell because they reject Jesus as Lord. That's what happens. That separates us from people who are believers and unbelievers. What do we do with Jesus? But John 3.16 is the crux of the gospel which says this, that for God so loved the world, he did what? He gave his only begotten son. If you believe in him, you will have eternal life. Hell is eternal. Heaven's also eternal. The eternal life that he's talking about is eternal life with him, with Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the issue for us is we assume too much of ourselves as humans that we desire good. I'm a good person, but the reality is we are not good people. We need Jesus. We need the gospel. I'm going to jump down to this verse as we kick off Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to skip a few verses for those who had uh, the slides in the back. But let's go down to 1 John 4, 18. It says this, 1 John 4, 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Even in me talking about hell as, we, as a precursor to what God is giving us in heaven, some of you are afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid. Like I said, Jesus scared the hell out of me. That's what happened. But in this verse, it says, For fear has to do with punishment. 
And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What happens is this. Now that you hear about this judgment of hell, you have no fear. Why? Because you know there's hope. There's hope of glory in heaven with Jesus. Because the Bible says that perfect love, not love that's like, I'll love you on Tuesday, or I'll love you after high school. I don't think we're going to be together, girl. It's not going to work like that. Imperfect love, love that's based on time, love that's based on situations and whatnot. Some of you guys are in some unhealthy situationships, nothing like that. This is a love that is constant, that is steady, that is sure, that is marked by grace, meaning God gives you what you don't deserve. Even though you mess up, God will love you, but will you accept him? That love casts out all fear, and that's how we can live in confidence to, to be in heaven with our God. Now what happens now is that we begin to turn from hell and we begin to turn to heaven. Now who is John? As you open up uh, Revelation chapter 21, who is this John? This John is uh, in 1 Peter, uh, sorry, 1 John, John 21, 20, it says this, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This John in John 21, 20 writes himself down he records himself in biblical history as the one whom Jesus loves. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this guy has so much confidence of his love that Jesus has for him. He calls himself John the Beloved, the one whom Jesus loves. There was something in that relationship between Jesus and John that he felt like he was the only one being loved. Can you imagine that kind of a love? Now, you guys have parents, you have siblings and whatnot. Your parents might have a favorite child. I don't know. I'm not speaking for your parents, right? But Jesus is able to love every single one of these people, even Judas, to a point where even John feels so individually loved, he feels he's the most loved. This is John the Beloved, one of the disciples. John is an exile thrown on the, the island of Patmos, meaning all these other disciples have been crucified upside down. People talk about the validity of the Bible. These people, if, you, if you're trying to keep up a lie, would you be crucified upside down for it? Probably not. At that point, you're like, oh, gigs up, I'm lying. No, people were crucified upside down. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, people were sawn in half. These people believed so much so, so much so that John himself was boiled in oil, did not die, and then they just put him on the island to be alone. So John is in exile on the Isle of Patmos, and he has a vision of heaven. It says this in Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There is a new heaven and a new earth. Right now you're talking about global warming and all this stuff. God's like, it's all going to be gone anyway. Now, do we have a responsibility to take care of the earth? Yes, you do. In fact, in Proverbs, there's a verse, and I'll just paraphrase it, that talks about how, how you take care of your animals is an evidence of how you are a believer. It's wild. This is why I'm not going to get a cat. I'm sorry. Cats are not my jam. But if you want to get a puppy, do your thing. The point is this. All these things will pass away. God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. The same way when I got saved, he began to make me anew and make me fresh and make me a whole new person. He is creating you a new life and a new heaven and a new place where he wants you to live with him. And this earth, like I said, will ultimately be destroyed by God and not by man. This earth we're living on will be destroyed. 
the lights you see, Niagara Falls, all the things you go to travel to, some of you guys are on that plan. You're like, I'm going to go backpack Europe. Do it now. It won't be here anymore, right? Like, it's not going to be here anymore. He goes, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and new things to explore. Psalms 104.30 says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Isaiah 65.17 says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or even come to mind. Meaning what God is creating in heaven, in this new earth and new heaven, you won't even think about the beauty of what you saw in Uganda. Our, our team went to Uganda and we went on the Nile, the River Nile. This is where the Nile begins all the way to Egypt, the longest, uh, uh, riv- one of the long- longest rivers in, in the world. begins in Uganda. And we went to an island on the Nile. On this island to our right was a waterfall. It's wild. It was just so beautiful. We got on these cano- canoes and felt the pull and push of the Nile as we went to this island. And we're looking at birds flying and, and all these different beautiful things. When you get to the new heaven and new earth, it will not even compare. In fact, it says you will not even think about those things. That's how beautiful it is. And we long for what God is going to do. 2 Peter 3, 12 through 13 says that for us, as we sit here and we read these scriptures, we can't even imagine it, but it says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will, will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. He's saying, the one, the earth will, will, will end up and everything will be done and burnt in fire. How is the world going to end? In fire. So people have back and forth conversations about global warming as the way. I'm not saying that's the way. What I'm saying is it will be gone and there will be a new heaven and new earth. But the point is this. You who are believers are waiting for and looking forward to that. I've never been to heaven, but golly, I'm looking forward to being in heaven. I have a a hope for it. And one of the marks of being a believer is that you long for the day of God. That's what the Bible calls it, the day of God. You look forward to that. You have a hope for that. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, as we we look forward to this, we have these concerns and things like, but, but Aaron, you're talking about heaven. What about now? He says, for in him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In the midst of all these things that we're looking forward to, there's brokenness. But guys, check it out. You have hope. Why? Because God holds all things together. Don't worry about it. Things will come. And as they come, trust that God holds all things together. Again, verse 1 says there was a new heaven and a new earth and the, and the old earth passed away. And we realize as you begin to read this book, I want to warn you, as you know, this book of Revelation is a book of pictures. It's imagery, right? So you can look at it one way and look at it a different way. But verse 1 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the old passed away and the sea was no more. We're talking about the sea being no more. Well, now, all of us who live in California have been to the ocean, right? And you think of the sea. When you read the sea, you think of the ocean, right? Where you surf and play with dolphins and the uh, national water sends out your rec- excrement, whatever. All those good things. Like all that salmon fishing, bass. Yeah, all that stuff. Like you think about all that stuff. But in context, 
he's not talking about the water. See, Revelation 13.1 says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And then 17.12 of Isaiah says, Ah, the thunder of many peoples, they thunder like the, the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of the nations, they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. 57.20 of Isaiah says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. When he's referring to sea in Revelation chapter 1, he's saying that sin and brokenness and lying and cheating and adultery and he broke my heart, all that stuff is no more. It's gone. He's destroyed it. Verse 2 says, and I saw the holy city. First he goes, dude, I went to heaven and there was no sin. It was perfect. It was pure. It was kind. It was lovely. It was of good reports. As you can quote Philippians chapter 4. Then he says, in, in the next verse, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So first image we see here is that heaven is a city. Mind blown. Didn't think about that at all. Heaven is a city. It says in 1110 of Hebrews, he was looking forward to the city that, that has foundations whose designer and builder is God, that all these people of old are looking forward to a heavenly city, a place where God dwells. Heaven is a city. And this city takes on the character of its people. That's what happens. This city takes on the character of its people. There's a place called Philadelphia, not the Philadelphia here, but Philadelphia in, uh, across the did you say across the lake? Whatever. Over that way, right? And what they're talking about is this. This city, Philadelphia, uh, talks about to have great love or affection, brotherly love. The people who are from that city have brotherly love. They care for one another. And this city in heaven takes on the characteristics of the people. And we'll see what kind of people go to heaven. Verse 2 says, again, a city ador adorned for her husband. A wife adorned for her husband. And in Ephesians 5.25, we know that these wives are people who God loves. That God sees us as a bride of Christ. So people who go to heaven are people who are devoted, who are given, who are ready. Some of you guys are trying to get married at some point in your life. Praise God. The idea of this is this. Coming out of our Dating, Kissing, Sex and Stuff series. That you are waiting and hoping for and wanting to be ready for your husband. For the one who wants to give you all in all for your, for your, your I won't say your sugar boo. But anyway, someone who you love and you want to give all of who you are to. People who go to heaven are those who are looking forward to God, to be loved by God, to be with our God. Verse 3 says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he, they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The biggest part of heaven is not that there is streets of gold. True say, there's going to be streets of gold. There'll be balling out there, right? There's going to be a, a, a city of glass. Amazing. Diamonds and pearls. It's like all these things, clutch my pearls, whatever. All these things will be happening. But the main thing of heaven is that God is there. Like that's the main cell of heaven. 
is that you are with your God forever. Now, we have the Holy Spirit with us here and now. And gosh, man, it's amazing to be in my sorrow and to be comforted by the Spirit of God. To be happy and have the Spirit of joy fill my heart when I see my friends getting married or them getting promotions or getting all these different things. It's amazing to have joy amongst the beloved when all you guys come into this room, some of you for the first time, and yet you feel loved and known and seen in this space. That's one thing. But to be with God in his presence, I can't even begin to explain because I've never been there. It's amazing. He says, the biggest part of being in heaven is that he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That God will be amongst us. In heaven, God lives amongst his people. And that's a blessing. They had an image of this in Leviticus when these people left the, uh, uh, the land of Egypt as slaves. God makes his promise to these people. He says in Leviticus 26, 11 through 13, I will live among you and I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you'll be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so we no longer be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you can walk away with your heads held high. This chain breaker, way maker, king maker is with us and he loves us. It's a blessing. Verse 4 says, in heaven he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Like I said, he will have all those things gone. Let's jump down to Matthew 24 verse 13. Matthew 24, verse 13. For me, as I look at these things again, I, I have a hope, I have a, a, a thing to hold on to. In fact, it says this in Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Another verse talks about how you receive the crown of life. Those who trust through all these brokennesses and muck and mire and your own stuff, you will be saved. You receive the joy of this gospel promise. Heaven gives me hope, and heaven should give you hope. Verses 5 and 6 of Revelation 21 says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of the life without payment. One of the big things about being in heaven is this, that you will be eternally satisfied by God. Now, you may not understand what it means to be satisfied, but maybe you do. Think hot summer day at La Playa. That's the beach, you guys who, didn't, who failed Spanish. At La Playa, it's a hot summer's day. And you've been out there jumping in the waves with a dolphin and all the other things we talked about that are in the ocean, right? Come back to your little ice cooler. What do you reach for? Coke? Coca-Cola, right? Okay, just checking. He said Coke, Coca-Cola. You reach for a Coca-Cola and you go, then what happens? You straight, like, take it down, Right? Refreshing, satisfied. Why? Because you've been 
living and swimming and jumping in a bunch of heat and sand and salt and all this stuff, and you are satisfied. Now, more satisfying than a a nice, cold Coca-Cola on a hot summer's day is being in heaven with God. He goes, you will be satisfied. Every desire you have for sex, satisfied in God. Every desire to be known by people, satisfied in God. Every uh, anxiety that you have of, 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 I'm not sure if I'm enough. He says, you are enough because he fulfills your all in all. Everything is satisfied by God. In fact, in John 4, 13, he says to this woman who is thirsty. She's thirsty in many ways, but she's thirsty, thirsty. John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus says to this lady who goes to the well, he goes, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. If you drink of this world and try to be satisfied, you'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's connecting that to heaven. See, the idea is the hope of heaven begins now. It begins now. It's not like I'll wait till I get to my deathbed. I'll wait till I have like five minutes before they pull the plug. You're brain dead at that point. It's gone. It's done. You start now. You start now. Now, having hope now. And it says this in Revelation 21.7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. Now, the Bible says we're more than conquerors in Christ. So if you trust this Jesus, if you have this hope, if you choose not to be satisfied by all these other things, he says, the one who conquers will have his heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. This is speaking of you. This is not Jesus. This is a promise for all of us here in this space. 9 through 11 says, Then came the seven angels. I'm going to skip this. I actually go to verse 7 and 8. 7 and 8 says, verse 8 says, But as for the cowardly, interestingly enough, when you think about people who don't go to heaven, because he just talked about those who go to heaven are conquerors, those who have chosen to trust him amidst all their things. Verse 8, he says, Those who are cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the lies, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's where everyone else goes. If you have no hope, people who are, who are faithless, people what the scripture is calling cowardly. Because I think it's a bold statement to say, I'm going to live a life as a believer. That's, that's a really bold statement. It takes faith not in yourself, but faith in God. But a coward would say, it's gonna, I'm going to do my own thing. It's easier. I, I, I don't care if you like, cancel me. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do my own thing. A person filled with faith who has hope, trust in God, and there's a promise for those people. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, And such were some of you. Again, this is the hope that we have in the gospel. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Some of us are in this context where you're hearing that those who are cowards, who don't trust this or who do these things, you're like, that's heavy stuff. True, it is heavy. But the reality is all of us in this room, some of you guys have heard this story of my personal story, that I was like that. I was in that category. I was living that way, but then... I fall into this category of the scripture which says, but such were some of you. Then you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, then in his vision, he says, then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the land. What happens next is that there's all these, these signs that I won't get into uh, for the sake of time. But what happens is this. We see verse 10 and 11. This man was then carried up into uh, heaven. I'm going to read this text. If you guys have your Bibles, it will be on the screen. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city. Now, this is his big picture of heaven. All right? If you're wondering, where's this guy Aaron going with all this stuff? This is where we're going. He says this. He showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most, a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates on the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the, on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, guess, three, three gates. There you go. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. So that means it's a what? It's a square, cube, right? If it's equal, its length are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. This is getting a little weird, right? Angel's measurement, human measurement. Anyway, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the seventh beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. So he just described this big old city with all kinds of stuff. So how do we break it down? One, again, this is a book of pictures. All these things mean something. Verse 21, he says, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of, of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. This tells us that, one, it was as clear as glass. This city was as clear as glass. What does that speak to? That heaven is a home for the pure of heart. It's a glass building. Now, again, we're talking about John who had a vision of heaven. And he's trying to understand things the way a human would understand. It's kind of like how when you talk to a kid about, about a, a, a football, they might be like, oh, these people run around and hit each other. And then people make, like, they get excited at the end. Because they're perceiving football as just guys hitting each other and running around. In his perception, he goes, I see this city and it's a city of glass. And this imagery represents that there are people who go there. And people who go there have pure hearts. And he says this, a very interesting thing, verse 22, that he saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamp. What does that mean? The image is we have a, a cubed building in heaven that's made of glass where the only hearts of purity. And in this place, there's light, but not like electricity light. This light 
is the light of the glory of God. What we call Shekinah glory, manifest presence of God showing up as light. Heaven is lit, literally. It is lit by the glory of God. And so you go into this place and there is no darkness. There is no sea. It's just a place of light and holiness. And it says in, in, in the next verse, uh, verse 24 to 25, and by its light, by the glory of God, by his presence, because God is the light of the city, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. There is no night in heaven. It's perpetual day because God is the glory and the light of the city. Verse 26 and 27 says, they'll bring it into it the glory of the honor of the nations. Now, what does that mean? I think that means that in every single nation, whether you're from Scandinavia, you're from China, you're from Chile, not Chile, Chile, uh, or you're from Uganda, all the glorious things in that place, people bring into their city. All the languages, all the, all the, the dynamics of their food, because there's, there's food in heaven. There's a big old feast. Like, if you guys like to eat, eat, you're going to eat in heaven, right? Like, you're going to call the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like, you eat, and all the glorious spices, and some of you guys are, like, on that coffee plan, the best, like, cold brew, going to be in heaven. Like, all those things are there. So all these kings, all these people bring the honors and the glories of heaven. It's interesting, when you, look about, when you think about that, and you look in this room, I see a lot of kings... I didn't say kings and queens. I said kings because the Bible defines us as people who are kings, right? All of you people here in this, is this place are priests and kings, and you bring all something, a glorious part of who you are to this place. People have written songs where they say, you know what heaven looks like? It looks like me and you living in unity, bring the best of who God is and what God has created us to be in purpose to each other, and we bring it to each other in heaven. It's an image of what that looks like to be in heaven. It says they will bring this glory of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This city, this place that God is calling, this new heaven, this new earth. If you guys have read the book of Genesis, we have this imagery of an earth, and a spiritual place that maps on top of each other. See, this new heaven and new earth is kind of like, if you've watched uh, uh, Stranger Things, right? The upside down, not that creepy, okay? But where you have a physical and a spiritual place that map on top of each other. This is the original plan that God has for us. For God to live with man on earth, on a mountain, to be with his people. And in Genesis, there was a mountain in Eden where God and man lived together. And they would have, have communion at this tree, the tree of life, kind of like the book of life. Remember that? This, this interesting imagery. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but the imagery is interesting. And they'll be together. And what happened was that man decided, you and I decided in Adam. And even today, day by day, we choose not to trust the wisdom of God. And we eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because we trust our way, 
not Yahweh, praise God. That was a bar. Someone give me some snaps. But the point is this. That was too much. Calm down. Uh, the point is this. Later on in Scripture, we see this imagery of how Jesus himself comes back. On, he dies on a mountain called Golgotha. And he gives his life for us on a tree. Are you seeing this imagery? How it maps on each other? So we can have relationship and communion with him again. And in Revelation, this communion looks like us being with him on a mountain, in a garden, in this heavenly city where there's glass. Because the point of that is not just because there's rooms and all these different things. People have debated about how there's many rooms, but it's a big old building, right? And everyone lives in there. And you can see through because it's glass. It's kind of wild, right? Like, what the heck? I can see that guy doing his dinner thing, whatever. But you can see through. Why? Because the main point of the city is not you. The main point of that city is not, is not the, the goal. The main point of the city is that relationship with God, that God is the light of the city, that God is the one we're looking forward to. And as we think about heaven, would you think about how Heaven is eternally and essentially about being and, and, and knowing who God is. I think that that process can begin here and now. There's no other reason why I'd give my life. Because my flesh in my being wants to do other things. Why would I stay faithful to my wife? Why? If there was not something better. What keeps me? What 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 keeps me in a place where I'm not out there snorting or 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 spending all the money that I get, the little money, sorry, that I get, and gambling it away? What what, what keeps me in that space? Because I see there's something better. And for every believer who has ever been persecuted, and for everyone in this room who's ever had a hope and a future, your hope and your future, as the worship team comes up, is not tied to uh, an idea of an ethereal space where you're just floating, you're wearing white, white robes and just hanging out. No, it's tied to a reality that we are fully satisfied in this God. The heaven is not about the city. It's not about the garden. It's about being with this God. It's about being with this God eternally. See, he says this in this verse. Verse 26 and 27. Again, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The question I have for you as we read this is this, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you have a hope for perfection, a hope for fulfillment, a hope for satisfaction, a hope for the light and love of God to be to know and also to be fully known by him. Do you have this hope? This hope is more than, again, the things that come and pass away. It's more than the new heaven itself. It's about being in and with God. See, there's a parable in Luke 16 of a rich man called Lazarus, and he was clothed in purple. He was, he was a baller, right? He's, he's, he's doing well for himself. And uh, he, he, the Bible says in Luke 16 that he would feast sumptuously. That's the word it says in the ESV. Sumptuously. That guy could eat. He's doing well for himself. And at, the, at his gate, he has, a, has this old 
a poor man called Lazarus. And, and Lazarus is covered with sores. And, and every day, this man would go by and see Lazarus. And the dogs in the streets would lick Lazarus' wounds. This poor man dies and carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died, and he was buried. And it says in Hades, which is a word for hell, this man who died, this rich man, was being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And it says, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Like some of us here in this room, we have an idea of a relationship with this God, but we don't really know him. We've known of him. And this man knows of Abraham and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in his flame. See, he's, he's in hell, and he is not even concerned about why he's in hell. He goes, that guy I used to bully in life, I want to bully him in death. He's still living in a rebellious state. He has no heart change even in the act of being punished in that space. But Abraham said to him, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in, in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here. One of the beauties of being in glory with God is that you will be comforted. That you will be comforted. He says, blessed are, the, are, the, are those who, who, who weep, for they will be comforted. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us, you are, are, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to. And none may cross from there to us. He tells us even in this parable that when God saves you, that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That there is no second chance. That this is the here and now to make that decision. And then he said, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Now he goes, dude, okay, okay, I can't be saved. What about my five other brothers? Tell them so that they may, he may warn them at least that they may also come into this, they may not come into this place of torments. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone go to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, I don't know if you guys are clicking with that, but that's a hard bar. He goes, even if these people have someone who rises from the dead, they won't believe. That's rough. That's wild. My confidence is this, that God raises the dead. He raises the dead. Those who are dead in their sins and trespasses, the Bible says, people like you and me who are living lives of sin and brokenness is trusting not the God of the Bible, but trusting ourselves. He goes, I can raise that from the dead and give you life eternal. This gift of heaven with God, with me, he wants to give to you. I'll ask today, don't shut your heart out to that. They don't be like those, those people who, even though they hear it, they won't accept it. Don't harden your heart today. But hear the gift of eternal life that God has to give you. That's more than gold, more than silver. But to be with God and known by God. As we wrap up, I want to ask you in this space, if you've never accepted this Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've heard about this place called heaven that's no longer just an ethereal thought or a dream. 
If you've never accepted this Jesus, you have an opportunity today, here and now, to have your life secure with God. And if you're in this room, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Prayer with me. Every eye closed and head bowed in this room. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me, not because it's a super formula or because you, when you pray this, then magic happens. No. This is a prayer to say, I'm giving my life to God. My trust is in him. My wisdom, my identity comes from him and it's secure in him. You're saying, I am done with living a life where I am the center focus and God, you are. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. I'm sorry for living a life where I am God. I'm sorry for breaking your heart. I know that I need you. Step into my life. Make me new. Give me a second chance. Help me learn to live and love like you. In Jesus' name, amen. With every eye closed and head bowed still, if you pray that prayer, please, eyes closed, head bowed. If you pray that prayer today, for the first time, can I see your hand? This is just you and me. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Allow me, guys, just to pray over you and uh, for the one who did put up his hand. Uh, thank God. Praise God for those who are in the beloved. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to rejoice and sing, respond with singing to the God who saves those who are lost and brings them to a place of newness. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness, Lord, that you would, even today on a Sunday morning at 11 something a.m., Lord, be saving people, be bringing people into your glory to be known by you, Lord. Your word says you are snatching people literally from the flames, Lord, and giving them life. Lord, thank you for that glorious work of salvation. And Lord, we rejoice with our brother who's given his life to you today, Lord. Strengthen him, Lord. Allow him to, to, to enjoy the joy of what it means to be known and loved by you. And Lord, also empower him, Lord God, by this, the power of your spirit, Lord God to have a hunger for your word, to have a hunger for relationship with other believers, Lord, because we know here that the life change happens in relationship, Lord God, relationship with you and, and also with others, Lord. And Lord, we rejoice with heaven, Lord, as we say thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. And our God's people said, amen. Let's worship our King. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at CalvaryHSM805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on and we want you to be a part.